Isn't it exciting to come to church and know that God is with us and moving among us and he's not mute, is he? Like it says in Corinthians, we don't follow a mute God like the idols. We follow a God who speaks and acts and he loves each one of us and even counts the hairs on our heads. And mine, it's very quick. Um, Why did the pastor go to Specsavers? Was it to help him read his Bible notes or was it to help him see where to throw the chocolate? It is the latter, yeah, I don't need help reading, reading my notes, but I need help throwing chocolate. So, uh, All right, do you remember last time we looked at uh, Paul's soul in the flesh? Okay, so this is his grace is sufficient, part two. Now, are you ready to delve into God's word? Yes, yes? okay, got your Bibles, got your phones? Yes. All right, we won't pressure Simon to get it on the screen as well, because Simon's doing the sound and the words today. All right, so let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, let's refresh our memories first about Paul's list of weaknesses that he chooses to boast in. He doesn't boast like these super apostles and whatever they've been boasting about. He chooses to boast about the things that show his weaknesses, show his humanity, because that's when God's power is made perfect and strong through his weaknesses. Okay. Verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Oh, Katie's with us. Isn't it good to have Katie with us? She's <laughs> Katie, you don't often get, get chocolate. All right. Katie's normally out with, uh, with the children, so it's nice for her to have some time with us. Right, verse 23. 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind at all like this? Meaning they're not. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from these false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. I wonder, what things show your weakness? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up and share, but what things show your weakness? And can Jesus work in and through your weaknesses? You hope so? Do you need to have it all together, all sewn up, in order to be useful to God? No. Okay, skip to chapter 12. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on boasting to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago has, was caught up in the third heaven. Okay, quick, quick recap. First heaven is? Earth, yeah, the, the sky and the surrounding, okay, where the birds live. Second heaven being? Outer space, where the, where the stars are. Yeah, and the third heaven being? 
God's dwelling place. Yeah. Caught up in the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And what was the weaknesses Paul was boasting about? The list of the hardships that he's just listed. The exhausting list of hardships he's endured. Verse 6. Even if I should boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one can think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given him a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we, we concluded last time from this and other scriptures that it's most likely Paul is using the phrase thorn in the flesh as a phrase, as a metaphor for an aggravating circumstances that seem to follow him around, the sufferings that he's listed. It's not a particular thing in his flesh like a bad eye or something like that that's often it's used for. These are frustrating circumstances. This is a demon from Satan to harass and buffet him wherever he goes. Let's read on. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What was the it in question? The demon, the buffeting demon. Lord, please take this troublemaking demon away from me. Everywhere I go, it causes problems for me. Verse 9. But he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And last time we saw that grace is God bestowing his goodness upon someone. God's grace is him bestowing goodness upon someone. And what goodness is Jesus bestowing upon Paul? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what Jesus is saying to Paul is, look, my grace is sufficient because my power will be with you. That's the grace that he's providing Paul with, his power. Paul, I'm not going to take the devil away, but my power can ruin his day. And by his power, through Paul, Jesus did that time and time again. Paul, I know you've asked me three times that this buffeting demon be banished from you. But watch what my power can do through you when he continues to harass you. This isn't a sorry Christian, but God says no, grin and bear it verse, which is often used for. This is, Christian, you don't need to worry about the devil. Just watch what my power can do. That's what kind of verse it is. Okay, halfway through 9b. Therefore... Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I might be shipwrecked for the third time, but watch what Christ's power is going to do when I eventually swim to shore. And what, what happened when Paul swam to shore? Do you remember? Good, because we'll do that next time. I've got an idea what to do next time. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, before we look at what God's, well, Jesus' grace through Paul did with his power, let's, um, oh, let's read verse 10. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Strong for what? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel, yeah. Strong for whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do with Paul next. That's basically what Paul was doing. Whatever the Holy Spirit was leading to and to do and to say where he was, that's what Paul wanted to do. And that's what he was strong in. When I'm weak, when this demon harasses me and causes me all these problems, I'm going to be strong because God's power is on me to go and do what he wants me to do. Okay. Are your weaknesses a barrier or an opportunity for Jesus? Maybe we see our weaknesses as a chasm, don't we? Ooh, can't go any further. But maybe Jesus sees your weaknesses as a bridge. Is that possible? Simon spoke last week about seeing things from a heavenly perspective. And that's what we need to do about Jesus' grace in us and his power through our weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay. Before we look at some of the things that Paul did, I'd like us to look at some scriptures that help us understand what Christ's power might be able to do in and through you. Is that all right? Yeah? Okay. Acts chapter 1. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Are you there? All right. But you will receive power. This is Jesus speaking to his original disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit... Yeah, sorry, verse, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what is one of, if not the main reason, Jesus gives his power to the church? To be his witnesses, the Great Commission. And what might be the main reason the Holy Spirit's power is still working through the church today? It's the same thing, isn't it? It hasn't changed. It's still to be his witnesses. Jesus gave the church his power to be his witnesses, the Great Commission. Christ's power does bless the church indeed. But I think its main purpose is to seek and save the lost. That's what I think. We need to keep the main thing the main thing, don't we? If the Holy Spirit's power is on the church to seek and save the lost, to go and make disciples, then we need to make that the main thing, don't we? It's such a beautiful thing when God's power turns up in holy huddles. Just like he did at Pentecost. And recently, have you seen the news reports and YouTubes and things like that of what might be happening in Asbury? What is happening in Asbury and then what might be happening in other places in America and, uh, and elsewhere as well? It looks like, well, they call it a revival or awakening. Christians are worshipping 24 hours a day. More and more Christians are going to the, the university and it's breaking out. People are praying, confessing. It's a beautiful thing when God's power pours out on holy huddles. But just like Pentecost, they were all waiting, probably it says they were praying and waiting. 
just like Pentecost and other historical true outpouring revivals, the power that initially touches the church very quickly begins reaching and touching the lost, doesn't it? Think about the Welsh revival and the Hebridee revival and things like that. The Holy Spirit comes on believers. There is a thing that we're seeing in Asbury kind of thing. There's prayer, confession, worship. But it very soon saves the lost, doesn't it? It spreads out. Hundreds of thousands. I think it was over 100,000 people got saved. Sinners got saved and born again in the Welsh revival and the, the Hebrides as well. So the greatest evangelist is the Holy Spirit. And his heart is that none should perish. So he loves blessing the church, but true power, when God turns up in a church, has to eventually begin sending us out. Okay? God's power comes for the main thing. And we need to keep the main thing the main thing, which is the Great Commission, being his witnesses. But there is another hugely important purpose for Christ's power resting on and in a Christian. And that is God's power at work in each individual to bring us transformation and relationship with God. That's another powerful purpose for God's power to come on the church and to individual Christians is transformation of personal character to be more and more like Christ and to have this amazing relationship with God. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read this a few words from Ephesians 3 to you. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you may have power. Remember, we're talking about Jesus' power and what it does. To grasp how wide, long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. So Christ's power comes on the church to go and seek and save the lost, but it also comes on the individual Christian to create this amazing loving relationship, their knowledge of God and a transformation in their lives. I think it's fair to say that most people prefer to major upon God's power for personal encounter and personal transformation. And it's so pleasing to God when an individual eagerly seeks God's power to transform their lives, which is the Holy Spirit's heart. But maybe we need a, a little nudge to equally see the beauty of an individual seeking his power for proclamation too. You know, we major on God, meet with me, change me, transform me, but actually it's beautiful, equally as beautiful for God to see you saying, God, fill me with power so that I might go out, that I might be your witness. Yeah? Maybe as well as working with God for our transformation, and seeing our current weaknesses as something that currently disqualifies us from being used for God for proclamation, we actually see our weaknesses as an opportunity to go and grow. Okay? Lord, grow me, but also at the same time, send me. 
Christ's power to transform me and to use me as his witness by both going and growing, being made perfect, his power being made perfect in my weakness at the same time. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Because his grace is sufficient for both my transformation, but also my being a witness. Often we say, God, grow me first, and then when I'm ready, when I'm grown, I can then go. But maybe the growing happens when the going happens, kind of thing. Don't see your weakness as something that stops you from being his witness, and I need to grow first. See it as an opportunity just to step out and watch his power hit both of you, your transformation and your proclamation. Acts 4.33. Let's read about the first disciples going and growing at the same time with God's power. God's power is to transform you and to be a witness, not just one or the other, it's both. And perhaps it's at the same time. They happen at the same time, the going and the growing, or the the growing and the going, or the going and the growing. Okay, Acts 4.33. With great power... The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's power working in them to be witnesses. Who are the apostles? Who are the apostles? Any ideas? Well, when Acts mentions the apostles, it's talking about the original twelve. Because when Jesus picked the 12 disciples in, where is it, in Luke 6, he said he designated them or called them apostles. Okay? So when Acts refers to the apostles, the church later on calls other people apostles, like Paul. But when Acts at the beginning talks about the apostles, it's talking about the original 12, well, actually the original 11. Judas died, and so they replaced him with who? Matthias. Matthias. Yes, I don't need my glasses to see you. Okay. Right, so Acts 4.33, they work, God's work powerfully in the apostles. So aren't we grateful that Christ's grace, it says here, where is it, halfway through Acts 4.33, it says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. So aren't we grateful that Christ's grace continued to work so powerfully through the apostles? But what about the believers who weren't apostles? Can God's grace still work powerfully through believers who aren't the apostles? You hope so? There's a lot of hope from there, Mike. We want some certainty from you. Okay. Let's, Let's have a look, shall we? If you're not an apostle, can Christ's grace work powerfully through you too? Well, after all, Jesus did promise that whoever believes in him shall do these works and greater, didn't he? Okay, are you a whoever? You'd like to think so? Hope so, says Mike. No, no joking. (laughs) It's not long in the life of the new church that the number of disciples has grown so much, so quickly, that the apostles no longer are able to kind of keep serving and handing out the food. Okay? So what happens is the apostles say, look, we need to concentrate on preaching, prayer, and the word. We need to um, appoint some of of the believers 
to distribute the food, to work in the food hub. And who, who was it they chose? Stephen, that's the one I'm picking anyway. So out of the thousand disciples, they chose Steve, Stephen was one of the seven that they chose. Now, was Stephen an apostle? No. Stephen was a spirit-filled Ocado delivery driver. <laughs> well, depends. If you see his, his, his role, actually, he's probably one of the managers. So he's an Ocado delivery manager. He's a spirit-filled manager. He's not an apostle. Acts 6, verse 8. Acts 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So does Jesus' grace and power, remember his grace is sufficient, okay? Does Jesus' grace and power work through people who are not apostles? Yeah, yeah okay. Can a believer who's not an apostle see God's grace and power work for them and do mighty acts, mighty things? Yep. Notice as well how Christ's power through Stephen did wonders and signs among the people. Okay. What sort of people were they? All sorts. Were they believers? Well, he was, he was, his role was to distribute food to believers, wasn't it? So God did mighty works, God's power did mighty works through Stephen among believers and probably unbelievers too. Yeah, messy church as well. Yeah. God's power is not just for the lost, it is also for the church. And God's power is not just for the church, it is also for the unbelievers. Okay? And it can work through people who are not apostles. Now, here's a question. I wonder if Stephen was one of the original 120. You remember the 120 who were waiting and at Pentecost the Holy Spirit came down on them with power like Jesus promised? Do you reckon Stephen was part of the 120? Probably, don't know. Well, the thing is, maybe God works powerfully, God's grace works powerfully through the apostles and just the 120. No? You disagree with that? Have we got any proof that that's wrong? Spad says he works powerfully in me. And Mike says, I hope so. Okay. Yeah. Right. Here's another counter question to counter that, though. Who do we know who definitely wasn't a believer in the upper room at Pentecost, but later had Christ's grace working powerfully through him? Paul. Saul. Paul, Yes. Saul who became Paul. Paul who became Saul, or no, Saul became Paul, shows us that Christ's power isn't just for the apostle or for the original 120, because he wasn't among their number, was he? He was definitely anti-Jesus at Pentecost. He shows that Christ's power rests and works through not just apostles, not just the original 120, but even the worst of sinners as Paul called himself, didn't he? I am the worst of sinners, but yet Christ's grace still worked through Paul powerfully. Isn't that wonderful? There are also other examples in the New Testament of ordinary, non-apostle believers on whom and through whom Christ's power continued to work. And neither Christ's power 
the Great Commission or the accompanying gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased to operate once the apostles or the original 20, 120 died. Christ's power, the Great Commission, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are Jesus' legacy to his church until he comes back. We're not a cessationist church. We believe very much in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus still working through a believer this day. This doesn't mean there are not cessationists among us, but on the whole, we are a non-cessationist church. God is still in the business of doing what he was doing through Jesus' grace through Paul. Okay. The transformational and proclamational power of Christ is still there to be made perfect in our weakness today. Let's turn to Acts chapter 9. Verse 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul, who became Paul, grew more and more powerful in the early days of his ministry as he witnessed to Jesus being the Messiah. Can it be expected for a believer to grow and grow in Christ's power? Yeah? If you're not experiencing Christ's power today, does that mean that you'll never experience it? Or is it potentially you can grow in his power? Grow more and more powerful. Yeah. In what context is Paul experiencing this incremental growth of power? When witnessing. When witnessing. Okay? The Great Commission. Maybe this is part of the Lord's MO, modus operandi, the way he works. Go and you'll grow. Okay? Go and you'll grow. Whereas my preferred thinking is, Lord, when I grow, then I'll go kind of thing. Lord, I, have this, I kind of had this mindset sometimes. Lord, I've tried to heal the sick and tell them about the kingdom of God, just like you said, but often with seemingly little success. Please make me more effective. Let me know your power, then I will be bolder. Have you ever prayed that? No? After all, Jesus did tell the original disciples to what in Jerusalem? Wait in Jerusalem until they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then they would have the power to go and be his witnesses. So um, am I right in thinking that I should wait just like they should? Is that command to wait still relevant for today? No? Is it that the church on that day received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the accompanying power to witness, and then subsequently the Holy Spirit has been here waiting for each generation to go? We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit anymore. He's waiting for us to go, to be his witnesses, to be led by whatever he wants to do each day despite our weaknesses, not letting our weaknesses stop us, but actually letting our weaknesses prove Jesus' power is made made perfect in them. As we go, we will grow. 
I might be wrong, but I think if I want to grow more and more in Christ's power like Paul did, I need not to wait anymore, but to go more and more. Do you agree? Do you agree? Well, as you, as you know, that um, my, hi ben, my sabbatical is coming up and um, in May, June and July. And what I've decided to do with the church's blessing is that um, I want to basically go and do street evangelism. I've learned enough now to be dangerous. And what I need to do is not go on another conference, is actually go and do it. So the church have graciously said, yes, you can go and um, basically drop your other duties of being a pastor for now, apart from preaching. I've volunteered to carry on preaching. I enjoy that. And I'd get a bit antsy, I think, if I couldn't preach every now and again. Um, but I'm going to go, and I'm basically going to go each day, hopefully, and um, see what happens. Yeah, a bit later, Ben, sorry. i got to see you. Okay. And we've got Martin Chapman coming again, the evangelist who's been evangelising in France and Spain and Switzerland for 30 years, who grew up in this church and got saved in this church. Um, he's coming back for two weeks in a couple of weeks' time. Was it a week's time now? Two weeks' time. He's coming back for two weeks in two weeks' time. We've already circulated a calendar to offer the opportunity to invite him to your house for brunch, lunch, or evening meal to get to know him a bit more and to maybe um, learn from his experience and for him to pray for you and for you to just get to know him. He'll also be doing some things in the church. We're also running an evangelism summit on Saturday the 25th. The breakfast is for the leaders and evangelists, and then after that, 11.30, it's open to anyone who wants to come and learn a bit more about how to share your faith and be more confident in being a witness to Jesus, to your friends, family, neighbours, and to strangers as well. Okay. Acts chapter 10. We're nearly there. Verse 38. Okay. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. People need the power of Christ to deliver them from the power of Satan. The power of the kingdom of darkness is overcome by the power of the kingdom of light. The Holy Spirit's power through Jesus, then continuing through the apostles, and through the disciples, through Paul, and even still through Christians today, doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil. Jesus' method is method and message have not changed. The gospel of Jesus still is the power of God unto salvation. And the apostle Paul, so weary from the constant adversity in opposition to him obeying the Great Commission, pleaded with Jesus three times to take the troublemaking demon out of the question, out of the equation. But what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We shy away from the Great Commission, from witnessing to the lost and stepping out to heal those under the power of the devil, because when we do, just like Paul's buffeting demon, Satan does all he can to make us look weak. Have you ever experienced that? Coming away from a, a witnessing situation or something, feeling really weak. 
And no one likes looking or feeling like a failure. Once bitten, twice shy. What we want to be sure is that when we step out, we are going to succeed. And the path is going to be smooth and the way free from adversity. That's what we want, don't we? Then we can be strong. When I know it's going to be plain sailing and it's all going to work out, then I can be strong. But Christ's power is made perfect, not in our strength, in our weaknesses. Paul, I know it's hard for you, but I'm not going to take the devil out of the equation. He is going to continue to do all that he can in his power to deter you and weaken you. But if you keep stepping out in your weakness, my power will continue to be made perfect in your weakness. And after pleading three times and Jesus' response, what is Paul's epiphany? Go back to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, halfway through verse 9. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These weaknesses, insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties Paul experienced were as a direct result of him carrying out the Great Commission. He realised that every time he stepped out for Jesus and Satan stepped in to make him look weak, that was when Jesus' power was being made perfect in him and resting upon him. Ordinarily, my weaknesses put me off from witnessing or they talk me out of it. But what if I actually viewed my potential weaknesses whilst witnessing for Jesus as a stepping stone for his power to be made perfect in my weakness? If I step out of my weakness, what is God going to do? What power is Jesus going to kind of manifest? Worldly logic laughs at a Christian who wears glasses. I didn't buy my glasses just for this sermon, by the way. <laughs> but worldly logic laughs at a Christian who has glasses offering to pray for someone else's sight. Or a Christian who's got hearing aids who offers to pray for someone else's hearing. Worldly logic laughs at that. That's silly. And a demon will whisper to you that you are a hypocrite and not to bother. And add, besides, God doesn't want to heal you, so why would he want to heal someone else through you? But what does Jesus say? Go for it. For my power, my grace is sufficient, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Yesterday we did healing on the streets in the morning. And if you don't know about here in the streets, we meet once a month here at 9.30 on a Saturday morning. We go out and we offer to pray for people, for healing, and to minister to them. And we've got a small team. And if anyone wants to join our team, come and see Mike or me, and you get a bar of chocolate too, and find out about possibly joining our team. But yesterday, Vic and Sheila came along. Now, Vic, big guy, but he was hobbling along because he's got a really bad back at the moment. And Logic laughs at that. Here's a Christian who's really struggling to walk, coming up and offering to pay for other people's healing. But what would Jesus say? My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Go for it. Don't be talked out of it. Go and grow in power, in transformation, as you do. Okay. Let's close with 2 Corinthians 4. And then Ben, I know Ben from, from ages past, 
And uh, if you still want to share, Ben, you can come up. You're right, right now. Lost the moment. I apologise if it was important and you lost the moment. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, talking about our human frail bodies, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The world has a saying, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Is that true? Well, Paul had a saying, when I step out for Jesus in my weakness, then I am strong. Let's be encouraged to step out for Jesus in our weakness and not see them as a chasm, but let's see it from the heavenly perspective of a potential bridge for God's power to be made perfect in our weakness.